Hello, I'm attorney Barry Boykin. I'm attorney Kevin Johnson. Welcome to episode 31 of Dynamite Divorce and Other Matters. We have invited a special guest, attorney Kathy Boychek from Des Plaines, Illinois, a nearby suburb of Chicago, to be with us today. Uh, welcome, Kathy. Thank you, Kevin. I'm happy to be here. Now, I've seen you and talked with you and actually worked on cases with you for many years. But to those hundreds of listeners out there who have never met you, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. Well, I've been practicing family law for close to 11 years now. And actually, the person that made me interested in family law is you, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Kevin... You've been a great mentor to me throughout the years. Um, When I graduated law school, I really didn't know what to do. Um, I knew that I wanted to practice law, be in the courtroom. Um, And then when I met you, you were just so enthusiastic about family law, about helping people, about, you know, bringing positive change to people's lives during their you know, most traumatic moments in their life. So with your enthusiasm, it really got me interested in family law. And I've been doing that ever since. Wow, I'm very happy and humbled to hear that. So your husband is also an attorney, right? Yes, he practices real estate law. We actually met in law school. So he does not want to do family law. He's happy doing real estate, which is fine with me. So can you tell us anything about your life? Any hobbies, habits, or uh Ah, uh, well, I have two little kids, uh, six and three. So they keep my, my life really, really busy. They also give me a good perspective on cases dealing with children, parenting issues. It really ties in well with what I do on a daily basis. So and how many years have you been practicing family law? Uh, close to 11 years, nonstop, always family law. Kathy, do you have any uh, special skills other than <laughs> Your long experience practicing family law. I speak Polish. I, th- I guess that's a skill. Um, half of my clients are Polish speakers, uh, and I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to do that. Be- beyond that, I-, I like gardening, traveling. I'm pretty pretty active. Pre- pretty active life. <laughs> you mentioned that you speak Polish. Is is that because you're a native Polish speaker, or you went to Polish school living in America? How did you learn your Polish? Well, I, I was born here, but both of my parents um, came immigrated here from Poland, and at home we we spoke Polish. Um, and I also went to Polish school. I had a lot of Polish friends, Polish family members, so I always wanted to improve on my Polish, and I think I'm pretty fluent at it. So especially now with my Polish clients, I've not only been fluent in Polish, but also like the legal, the legalese, the legal terms, which is completely different than just learning a language. But I think it's challenging and I think it's very helpful. There's a huge demand in, in Chicago because there are still a lot of people who mainly speak Polish or prefer to speak Polish. So, Wow. So someone who's interested in custody, divorce, other kinds of family law if they want to consult with somebody who can understand their language and maybe, uh, in, you know, kind of swim in their culture or understand, it would be a good idea for them to talk with you. Is that right? Exactly. It's it's not only the language, but also there's cultural differences that, you know, another lawyer might not be sensitive to or not, might not be aware of. So, And now I do remember when I first met you, you were uh, working in a small firm, I think maybe uh, two lawyers. It might have just been you and your husband at that point. 
and then you worked for uh, one or two other firms, and now now you're back in command of your own law firm. Is that right? That's true. I'm uh, the majority of my legal career, I was a solo, or I also worked with my husband, and then I kind of joined another firm for a little bit. But I love the freedom that being a solo is, and um, being able to, you know, choose my clients, you know, help my clients the way I want them to to be helped. And I, I think it's, it's good for me. And it's good for my clients right now. So before we go further, this podcast is no substitute for the specific legal advice you will get by consulting one on one with a licensed attorney in your state or country. We hope that before taking any action that might change your life or your financial situation, and before making decisions that might significantly affect your children and the people around you, you do find and meet with a licensed attorney. Now Now on with the show. show. Well, I'm so glad you had time in your busy schedule to stop by and record with us. And we brought you here for a very important reason. And that's because we have a topic that hopefully will be of interest to many people that listen to us and around the world. Kevin, thank you. And the topic that we talked about addressing today is one that's called parenting coordination or having a parenting coordinator. Now, the parenting coordination is authorized by one of our uh, circuit court rules. So the circuit court rules of Cook County, rule number 13.10, deals with the appointment of a parent coordinator. It's not a part of our statute. There are almost a dozen states that have statutes that provide for parent coordinators. But uh, in Illinois, we deal with it by our court rule. And uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today. So I I, uh, I would suspect that it is true that others, other counties in Illinois and other parts of Illinois, they do have the parent coordination. Uh, I think maybe I would start out with the idea that there has to be some kind of resource in order to be able to retain the person who is another expert on the team of experts that deal with family law matters, with divorce and, and related divorce uh, child custody issues. Well, just to bring it down to what our listeners are experiencing. So let's say they're in a case and someone mentions the idea of a parenting coordinator. It's going to be probably what? A lawyer who is now appointed into the case to do what? What do they do? Now, it does not have to be a lawyer. I'm I'm glad you led with that. It could just be someone trained in mediation. It could be uh, a someone expert in uh, psychology. Now, the caveat there is, let's say we have a expert uh, who is trained in psychology. They cannot be uh, also employed to do the evaluation under 60410. And so we we may have two different professionals, one to do a custody evaluation of the parents and the other one to do the parenting coordination, but they could be in the same field. So it does not have to be a lawyer. It could be some other professional. The, the There are three criteria that need to be met. Do we know what they are? So the three criteria is that we have parents that are not able to cooperate with each other. They cannot communicate. There's, I would call, high conflict. So there's a lot of high conflict. A lot of, a lot of times they're coming to court fighting about minutia. They're in court every week, week after week, month after month. Uh, uh, that's the wrong school. Oh, that's the wrong doctor. 
or we don't agree about vacations. So everything possibly the parents can fight about, they've been fighting about it for years. Mediation has failed, and future mediation would be inappropriate, the rule What do you says. mean? What's mediation? Mediation for is where, and uh, most judges consider mediation to be mandatory at the start of a case. Mediation is the appointment of a referee, a person, also somewhat trained, maybe a social worker in some cases, where the mediator then talks to the parents and leads them to come to a compromise and kind of draws out from them possible areas of agreement. So the mediator then is is uh, resolves the dispute. Now, the parenting coordinator can also be a mediator. In fact, should be trained in mediation. So mediation really is the second component. First component, high conflict. Second component, mediation. But regular mediation has failed. And, and the third factor is one that we're very familiar with, present in all of the cases involving uh, children, which is that the appointment uh, must be in the best interest of the children. So there has to be a finding by the judge that the appointment of a parenting coordinator is in the best interest, the best welfare of the children involved in the case. And I, I would just like to add that, you know, a lot of times <laughs> parenting coordinators are by agreement um, I don't think that there is a trend right now among the judges um, to appoint parenting coordinators, which is kind of sad because I think it it would be helpful in a lot of cases. Um, but just so people know out there that, you know, you don't have to wait for the judge to suggest this or to order this. It can be among the attorneys, among the, the parties. Parenting coordinators are well experienced. They know kind of what works. They can have like creative suggestions. Um, but also parenting coordinators, if you find a really good one, it will provide the parties some creative ways to deal with with their things and with their conflicts. So the whole goal is not for the parenting coordinator to always be there. It's just that they are there to give them tools, to give them suggestions, to give them kind of a good foundation. Well, before the pod, I made it clear that I think parenting coordinators are kind of a bad idea, but I don't think that's a widely held opinion. I think, again, I find myself in the minority with many people disagreeing with me. And I think both of you would, would kind of take the other side, right? That a parenting coordinator under the right conditions can be very useful, right? Yes, I think that could be a good option. I, I probably not for every family, but I know in one of my cases, which the parties have been in litigations for years and years. And another, you know, we had, we had to go to trial. We had the judge actually write the decision, write the, the you know, we had a GL, but the GL, like we still couldn't reach an agreement. And even after trial, even after a judgment was entered, the parties were still back in court because the judgment wasn't a hundred percent that detailed. I mean, there, there's always something, even in a 20 page, 30 page judgment, there's also always issues that are a little bit ambiguous or vague. So that's my aha yeah. moment there. Yes. I, that's, that's my big thing is right. If done right, the judgment or the parenting uh, agreement will tell people which side of the fence they're on, what times and days they get the children, what the duties of each parent are. And if it's clear, my theory, 
is that they don't end up arguing so much if it's written clearly. Well, right. I, I, I agree with that, but I do feel, I do, I, I do think that there are some individuals that will just create something out of nothing. And when you're dealing with a parent like that, sometimes it's good for a parenting coordinator to come in, um, you know, talk with the parties and then, you know, tell them, listen, I'm a third party. I, I, I wasn't involved in your litigation and I'm telling you that you're wrong, you know, Sometimes it's good for, for a third party, a, a parenting coordinator to do that. But I, what we also did in that case is that we gave the parenting coordinator some power. Okay. So, the, so it was, it, it, it wasn't a mediation kind of style where if both parties agree, then great. There was an agreement. If both parties don't agree, then we can't really do anything. The parenting coordinator actually had, power as a tiebreaker as you know um something you know they would hear both sides and then they would be like okay this is how it's gonna be okay and then you know the parties had to you know accept that and we're not talking about major decisions but we're talking well, about can you yeah can for our listeners what kind of a thing what kind of a dispute would go to the parenting coordinator i mean what time the child should be returned on fridays or whether the child should eat organic broccoli or regular commercial broccoli. I mean, what, what kinds of disputes are you talking about? Disputes like, for example, you know, in the holiday schedule, 4th of July, for example. If 4th of July is uh, divided up per, you know, odd years and even years to, you know, on an alternative, alternating basis. However, some 4th of July happens to be on a weekend, Okay. And if it's on a weekend, does that mean that 4th of July means one day or does 4th of July mean the whole weekend? And then even, even, even further than that, um, if mom should have gotten the weekend on 4th of July and, uh, you know, it was dad's 4th of July. So dad takes the whole 4th of July weekend. Does that mean that next weekend it's mom's weekend? You know, there was nothing in the judgment saying that, you know, the alternating weekends, does it ever change? You know, so it's, it's those little things that in, on paper, it looks pretty detailed, but mm -hmm. when practice, you do go through some hiccups, you know, you do the, go through some. Okay. Now what you're mentioning, Kathy, is one of these things that almost makes my hair fall out and, and that I really can't afford much more of that. But, but it's this idea that, for example, let's say the father has less parenting time, mother has majority time, heterosexual couple, okay, and then it's every other weekend, right? That's how it's written, every other weekend, instead of, as I prefer, like the first and third weekend or something like that. Now you get to something where, for some reason, dad's weekend is stepped on by mom. Maybe what you said, man, mom has a holiday there. It falls right on that weekend. And then dad's heard to say, well, she can't have three weekends in a row. We should reset. We should reset the every, you know, and I hate that because now people make their plans. They get their Airbnb or their summer vacation plans. They know which alter they've gone on the calendar and they've seen, okay, every other weekend, you know, and now it's reset, throws everything in the air, but it makes sense logically. Hey, why should mom get three weekends in a row? But then you treat, you know, so you're saying disputes like that 
could be given to this parenting coordinator to sort of deal with and make a decision. Is that right? Right. And I, I think I think your point is that, you know, a parenting judgment needs to be as detailed as possible. And I and I get that, but sometimes you're in you know, this particular case, the judge wrote the judgment. And also in cases where you inherit a case, um, and you weren't involved in the draft making, you kind of have to, you know, use what you have. You're kind of stuck with it. But also, just to kind of add to it, I heard another conflict about 4th of July. You know how 4th of July um, is observed on different days sometimes? Because if it falls on a Sunday, then it's observed on Monday, right? So one question was, well, 4th of July is Sunday, but it's observed on Monday, so therefore I should have both days. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds... So you can't, I mean, you can't plan for everything. You know, you can do your best to draft a good judgment that will be understandable to all parties, that will be, you know, fair, that will make sense. But at the same time, just things just come up like that, you know. (laughs) And Kathy, I want to go back to something you said earlier, which is that there's, um, there's no way to stop someone who, who wants to make something out of nothing, make a conflict where none existed before. And so, and that's really what happens with high conflict, high conflict cases, then uh, the one party or the other, sometimes both parties are looking for loopholes, no matter how carefully Kevin has drafted it. They're looking, <laughs> they're looking for some loopholes. And yes. if there are, if there are no loopholes, because Kevin is very careful in his draft, there are no <laughs> loopholes. Then they're determined to make one. So they're going to make something out of nothing and then bring high conflict. But my experience, uh, Kathy, has been much like yours, that the judge the judge wrote the decision, you know, because both parties couldn't agree on any kind of parenting agreement. The judge wrote the decision and says, by the way, since I've been seeing you guys and I'm sick of you because I see you every week, <laughs> since I see you all the time, I'm going to appoint you to so-and-so as a parenting coordinator. So now you're going to deal with this person who then is going to hear your disputes. You're going to pay that person, you know, the fee if if needed. And perhaps the, the losing party might have to pay a little bit more if, if it comes back. There is some province the judge retains to say there are some decisions that I as the judge make. But the goal here is to keep you out of court as much as possible and in the hands of this parenting coordinator. And that's another thing, too, is that the parenting coordinator is not going to go above and beyond their role. So they're still going to act on what the judgment, on the essence of what the judgment is about. Okay. And, and also, it does save the parties money, because you're not looking at two people um, going to court with two different lawyers and then having a judge be there. So it's kind of, it does help the court's resources and it kind of saves the parties um, from having to litigate every little thing. And you're right, like you can put a caveat in there that, you know, if there is one parent that keeps bringing up frivolous things just to kind of, just to create chaos, um, they might be. They might have to pay for the entire parenting coordinator fee, and I think wow. that's reasonable. Yes. So can I can I say? And and this is 
speaking from my experience of never having a parenting coordinator in my cases, do I sound biased against it? <laughs> so I'm looking, I looked at the, the smart, the today in researching for this pod, I actually reread the uh, 13.10, the Cook County Circuit Court rule that, that, uh-huh. that uh, provides for the appointment of parenting coordinators. And then I, I looked at this, this provision. It says, and I'm reading from the rule here, and it seems to go against what you're talking about. So I don't like to generate controversy. Okay, yes, I do. Uh, here it is. <laughs> I'll quote. The parenting coordinator shall not have any decision-making authority, which is the sole province of the court. So, Kathy, what you were saying was, in your cases, if they agree that the parenting coordinator shall be allowed to make decisions, and it kind of sense binding decisions, right? Uh, so like baseball arbitration, they're going to each may the, make their case to the parenting coordinator. Well, I should get the weekend. No, I should get the weekend. And what will come out of that is a binding decision. The parenting coordinator may email the parties and say, folks, I've heard your sides, but here's what we're going to do. And they're going to be bound by that, which is not what this says. It says they shall not have any decision-making authority, which is the province of the judge. But you would give them that authority in some cases. Is that what you're saying? Yes, I would prefer to add that to the order, just to kind of make it worthwhile. Because if it because then we're just kind of like looking at a situation where it's like mediation, you know, well, I can't make her agree. So we can't I can't help, you know, I, I really want parenting coordinators to help the situation and not just to kind of be a sounding board, but also to, to, to make decisions. And again, not decisions that are contrary to the judgment, but so, so in that one case where I actually did not recommend a parenting care coordinator, I was kind of resisting it, but to come to an agreement, we agreed that the parenting coordinator would have some decision-making power. Now, here's another side to that argument, Kevin, which is that the parenting coordinator is picked by the judge. Then that person is someone the judge respects and admires. And this is much like the appointment of some other other expert on the case. By this time, the parties have been in court, in my experience, for years. And for it to be high conflict, they've had other experts appointed. So it's just like when the attorney for the child is appointed. Now they have someone else to decide about. And they have the same concerns that they would have with any other professional in the case. So just to give you a practical example. So in in a couple of my cases, the father was concerned that the parenting coordinator, who was female, might have gender bias and lean towards toward the mother. So he said, well, he said, how is that fair to me as the dad, another woman on the on the case to uh, decide the fate, you know, my my involvement with my kids? But I was able to persuade him that that uh, the person was professional enough, and and in fact uh, he had a very positive experience. So the end of the story was, we did have the parenting coordinator the judge suggested, and the person was fair and objective. And so I would I would generally explain to my clients, look, you know this is a person the judge handpicked to be objective and to be neutral and to act in the child's best interest. So that's paramount. It's supposed to be for the good of the kids. So it's not taking sides. You know, you don't have to, to campaign for the affection of the parenting coordinator. <laughs> I think what you're saying, Barry, is uh, you don't have to wage a campaign of trashing the other side in order to succeed with the parenting coordinator. Is that yeah. what you're saying? 
that don't is. I, I think also you have to focus on the issues. You can't, it's not about who's the good parent, who's the bad parent. When you're co-parenting, you're stuck with this person, okay? Whether, you know, whether you like this person or not, you're going to have to co-parent. So if you're having issues, focus on those specific issues. Don't focus on, well, I want this person to tell me that I'm the best parent ever and that other parent is worse. You know, that's not the goal. You're not going to get that from this person. This person's goal is to create peace and stability in your, your life and your children's life. Okay. So if you're having an issue with the schedule, if you're having an issue choosing a doctor, focus on those things. Don't talk about, well, you know, um, you know, her boyfriend bought a necklace and I, I object to that and blah, blah, blah. Those things are really not important. Don't be focused on stuff that, that the parenting coordinator is probably not going to help you with, you know. Well, it looks like we've come to the end of our time for this part one of episode 31. I'm attorney Kevin Johnson. I'm attorney Barry Boykin. And I'm attorney Kathy Boychuk. There's more to this. We just have a part two coming up. Please listen to that. Thank you very much.